It is with my great pleasure that I get to introduce two of the biggest thinkers on the entire planet, two of the biggest doers, game changers, people that have impacted literally hundreds of millions, actually billions of people together. And I could give long introductions, but I'm not going to do that because all of you know who these two individuals are. So I'd like to welcome to the stage Mr. Peter Diamandis and Tony Robbins. What's up, brother? Grab a seat on each side. I we're mean, this twins. is just awesome. We're twins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I saw... I tried to get a hired chair just so I would feel I at least... I saw that movie. That makes me Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, uh, where do we start? How you all doing? Yeah. Awfully quiet. I was in the back there watching you guys. Really quiet today. It's because they're all freezing. Is that what it is? Yeah, we were, we were told we had to like lower it down to sub-zero temperatures for you. <laughs> Why is that? Have you, has it always been that way, or did it become at a certain point? No, you and... they're all sitting, but I took a group. Where I just got done with 10,000 people in L.A. for 50 hours, and we're yeah. jumping. And scr- Anybody been there? Anybody there? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the body heat gets so hot that people are just literally drenched otherwise. And also, I was wearing a ski jacket at Date with Destiny. Literally, <laughs> a ski jacket. Yeah, it's cold. I think he was, too. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the biggest and boldest things that both of you have been up to? Let's start with you. No, no, no. Let's start with No, I'll start with start you. Start with the big guy. No, no. No, come on. <laughs> totally, totally. I'm part of some of the ones he's done. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, um, um, gosh, there's a lot of things I'm involved with. I'm very passionate about feeding people. I think you know mm-hmm. my story. When I was yeah. 11 years old, we had no money, no food, and so a gentleman came and fed my family, and uh, he wasn't, he was just a delivery boy, but it changed my life because it made me believe strangers care, and it uh, my father didn't respond very well to the situation. He was very angry, and he left our family shortly thereafter. But for me, it, it left an indefinite mark that people really care. If strangers care about my family, I care about them, and, and it made me want to do something. So I promised that myself, some I do well enough to do f- feed other people. So at 17, I fed two families, and then four, and then eight, and then 100,000, and then a million. And the last seven years, we've been feeding two million through the foundation, and I've matched it with two million, so four million a year. So I fed 42 million people in my life, and then I started working on this book four years ago. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I started working on this book, and I interviewed 50 of the smartest financial people on the planet. Um, you know, people like John Paulson hadn't done an interview in 10 years, and I got one of the first ones with them, and Ray Dalio, and people like that. And these are all people not from the Lucky Sperm Club. These are the people that did it on their own. They built it from scratch. No one gave them a break. And I'm getting all these insights and I'm watching Congress pass these laws where they change the budget and they cut food stamps, and I don't call it food stamps anymore, but that's basically what it is, by $8.2 billion, which basically means every person who needs food in this country, who's not in the position anybody in this room's in, has to go without food one week a month for 12 months out of the year unless the private sector picks it up, which is their hope. And most of the private sector is really stressed. So I went to Feeding America and I said, you know, what if I gave you all the profits of this book, all the money I'm getting, all the money I'll ever get, how many people could I feed? And they said, 10 million people. And I said, I'm in. And then I got more excited and I added a bunch of money to it. So I added it to 50 million people. And then I said, I'll do matching funds to 100 million, which if anybody here wants to feed people between now and the end of the year, I'll match any amount of money you put out if you put it to Feeding America. There's no limit on the amount. So that's my challenge to you if you want to play with me on that area. It'd be a cool place to go. Awesome. Thank you. So I've been doing that, and then the other part is on, on the average person, I, I started doing all this work and finding these strategies, and I started to say this industry is 
just one of the most destructive industries out there, the financial industry. It's a place where the average American has their money in their home and their 401k. They don't know what to do. They don't know where it is. If you can imagine an industry where you didn't have to tell people what you're charging them for 30 years, what kind of abuse would happen in that kind of environment? And that's what's been happening. So three years ago, the Department of Labor changed the rules and they said, you have to disclose what you're charging people. What a concept. So the industry's response is to create these 35 to 50 page documents <laughs> that make it virtually impossible for the average person, even somebody with a PhD, to know what they're really being charged. So now President Obama is saying there's $17 billion being stolen from people's retirements by hidden fees and he wants to change the rules. And of course, you know, the industry's fighting it and they've already chopped up pieces within the legislation that will make it really so it doesn't really matter. It'll disrupt them a very small amount. So I wanted to change that. So I created, I said, what we need is transparency. And I created a company um, called showmethefees.com. And I brought in a company that did 401ks at the lowest level price. And I started finding out things like for every 1% you pay in fees, and most people think they're only paying 1%, the average mutual or average 401k rather is 3%. But for every 1%, that's 10 years of income a person gives up in retirement. And you can get the exact same stocks, the same equities for 1% or in some cases 75 basis points as you're getting for three and a quarter. And so, you know, if a person has $100,000 and they're 35 years old and they put it in the market and it grows at 8%, heck, if they have 1% in fees, you know, they got some money, 761,000 at retirement 30 years later. If they have 3% in fees, they have 432,000. You have 76% more money with the same exact product just if you were charged reasonable fees. And what's worse is if you're 3% fees, you're gonna run out of money 21 years sooner. So these people are gonna run out of money at 74 instead of 95. It makes me crazy. So I created the site and we've disrupted massively billions and billions of dollars just in the first nine months, about seven billion that we know of so far. And so it's been really exciting and um, uh, we're, I'm working with another company to grow it from 16 billion to 100 billion. We've got a clear plan to do it that will disrupt. I'm also, I don't know, how many own, own your own business in this room? So right now, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people have come to me for investments in some of these companies. You probably have seen them as well, like Top Deck, these ones that have gone public. And I'm looking at these rates of return. I'm looking at how could they have a profit this large? They must be raping people, and they are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so people go there for business loans because the banks don't provide it anymore. And so you look at the real APR that they're paying, right? The real interest rate, it's 40 to 80%. Oh my God. And it's because there are no usury laws on short-term loans and business owners all over the country, that's what's happening. So I just partnered, this is not for general population pieces yet, it'll be announced in a few weeks with American Express. And I got a deal with them where we're gonna provide it for 8%. All those guys can refinance. You can get approval in 15 minutes and money in 48 hours. If you're a merchant and you have a credit card account, it's really simple. They'll give you 1X whatever your total is per year at 8% or 2X for two years. So I got a friend that's a dentist, pretty successful, does 10 million in business, six millions in credit cards. So he gets a loan for 12 million bucks at 8% instead of trying to get a tiny little loan for 40 or 80%. So I'm doing the same thing in the REIT market. You know, if you, people today want to go invest in real estate investment trusts, you know, today you pay five to 15 points up front. They used to do that with mutual funds. They used to say, give me a million dollars, give me $100,000, I'm gonna take 15% of it up front before I do anything for you. It's insane. <laughs> and they're still doing it with REIT. So I got with a guy named Ethan Penner who's listed in the top 100 people in real estate in the last century. He built a trillion dollar industry where he basically took, uh, you know, commercial back mortgages mm -hmm. and built that industry from nothing. And he's been retired and I said, what would you do today if you were gonna do this? He goes, I'd do one where it's only based on performance charts, nothing up front, and you even guarantee <coughs> people 4%. 
before we even got a fee. And so that's what we've done. We've created something called Mosaic. So I've got a series, about a dozen companies in this area that I'm looking to massively disrupt the financial area by just finding a way to do more for others than anybody else does. And that's, I think that's the secret to success in any business. And in your part-time, you're le leading literally hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> I just too, was in so. seven countries in 21 days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> LA for, th for three days and nights for 10,000 people, but I love uh, it. Slacker. Slacker. No, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe, what about you? Maybe I should have gone first. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, Peter, without feeling like a total loser, what are you up to? Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I'm in, I try to be involved in everything he's involved with. I get a little piece of what he does. He's such a genius. He's, he's the big thinker. Yeah. Uh, so let me focus in on, on three things. One is the X Prize, and, yes. uh, and Tony has uh, been extraordinarily generous as a a philanthropist and a number of you in the room here who are members of our innovation board, thank you uh, for those of you who are, are part of that, some of our trustees in the, in the room here. And uh, <clears throat> the story there again, I think you guys all know this, is my nine-year-old dream in myself was wanting to go into space and giving up on NASA being the way I was going to get to go there. And saying there's got to be some way, somewhere, somebody can build a spaceship that I can go on to and uh, organized a $10 million prize. And as my dear friend Dan Sullivan says, I didn't have the $10 million at the time, but had every faith that I would. It just took me six years to find it. Uh, and that $10 million prize launched a private space flight industry that uh, Richard Branson is now commercializing and a number of other teams are doing. Uh, but on the heels of that, we said, this idea of asking the world, what do you want to solve? What is a problem that should be solved, that you think you know, it's a sin that it's not solved yet, and realizing that there is so much brilliance around the world uh, that a kid today has more power than the President of the United States did 20 years ago in terms of the computational power, the knowledge they have, and that you know, it used to be only the kings and queens that could solve things in the past, and now it's any of us can solve something. And what we do is we work with the top philanthropists and corporations, in some cases governments, and put up these large prizes, a million or a few million dollars, actually, Christian Cattaccini, who runs HeroX, a spin-out, does the smaller prizes. We were doing these 10 million, 20, 30 million dollar prizes and saying, I don't care where you went to school, whatever you've done before, you solve this and you win. Uh, I'll just mention one that, that we did together. Uh, it was Tony Robbins, the DeVos family, and Elon Musk that funded a global learning X prize, 250 million kids around the world uh, nearly 700 million women around the world uh, can't read, write, or do arithmetic. And we uh, put up a prize that said, if you can build an app that can take a child where there's nothing, no schools, no adults, nothing, and take that child from illiteracy to basic reading, writing, and numeracy in 18 months, you win. 600 teams entered that competition. We're down to 200 delivering software. They'll be in Tanzania in about 14 months. And uh, with that, and actually, John Raymond's also one of our, our sponsors in that. Uh, will be, uh, that winning software will be open source to the world so that every device becomes a teacher. So that's XPRIZE, really excited about that. We're really focused on mapping the ocean floors. Thank you. Um, with, uh, with my dear friend Eric Anderson in the back here, uh, co-founded Planetary Resources. And the concept here is that we think of things as scarce on Earth. And certain things are the beautiful lands that we have, and we shouldn't rape and pillage them. Uh, but we live in a solar system filled with resources. Uh, and 
the concept here of planetary resources is we are using the most advanced technology, 3D printed spacecraft, AI on board, sensors that have never flown in orbit before to go out to prospect near-Earth asteroids, which are rich in, in fuels, platinum group metals, uh, construction materials. Uh, and those same spacecraft, when pointed down towards the Earth, we've just discovered, and we're really excited about this, can actually map and predict the yield of every acre of cropland on planet Earth and really help us feed the planet much more efficiently. So we just launched our first spacecraft. Next one goes up uh, in the first quarter. Uh, the last one, which is sort of like, you know, I think relevant to all of us, is um, the idea that we can all live 30 or 40 more healthy years in our life. And uh, to Dan's point earlier about, um, you know, living to 95, but not 95, living to 195, you know, whatever it might be, we're at a moment in time where we have to realize the software that runs our body, our genome, what happens to you isn't happenstance. It isn't like, it's, oh my God, I happen to come down with that. That, you know, your destiny is in your genes. It's also in the environment, all these kinds of things, but, uh, uh, and this is one of, uh, Tony's one of our investors, we created a company called Human Longevity, uh, Craig Venter, who sequenced the first human genome and Bob Hurry and I founded it together, and it's built the world's largest genome sequencing facility on the planet. We've sequenced more human genomes than the rest of the world combined. Uh, and not just the genome, your microbiome, a full body MRI, 2300 chemicals in your bloodstream, the most massive data set about you. We mine that data to actually help you understand what is going on. It's the most complete information data set in the world. And we've also, just a few of you in the audience here I know are benefiting from this in our health nucleus. Uh, we're now actually sequencing cancers to help you know what drug specifically works for you in your cancer, not just for everybody who happens to have that generic cancer. So uh, that's a, a big one. I think that's something that's going to impact all of us is, uh, you know, making 100 years old and you 60. Right? You'll get younger. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. His spare time, he's got a couple of kids and, exactly. and travels the world. What, what, well, you know, speaking of that, like, what are the biggest trade-offs that both of you consider maybe negative in order to do what it is you do? Because you're both, I mean, incredibly driven, uh, what I would consider insane schedules, but at the same time, you're making massive contributions to humanity. So what are the trade-offs that you would consider like, you know, we work our asses off, we do a lot of stuff, but this is what we had to sacrifice in order to do it, if you think, think of it that you, way. I think if you think of it as a sacrifice, um, then you're gonna build frustration or resentment. I, I really don't, if you think it's a sacrifice, you shouldn't do it. I think the challenge is that most people have this illusion about life-work balance. And I think that's, that's, you know, if you're going to accomplish it, it's, people are laughing because you know it's bullshit, right? Um, what's true is life-work integration. So I was just in 21 countries, or seven countries, 21 days, but who's with me is my family, who's with me is my friends, and I've done well enough to have a plane and bedrooms and all that kind of cool stuff makes it, but when I didn't, we still, we huffed it together, and beginning days it was coach and dragging ourselves around, but I thought it was great for my kids to have schooling, but I thought an education was more valuable, and traveling the earth was a part of that. Um, but you know, we're in the middle of this crazy schedule, but we're, it's not work, it's a mission. When it's work, it's that. I always ask people, I said, how would you describe what you do? And people I say, is it work, is it career, or is it mission? And most people, of course, say it's work, and that's exactly what it is, it's heavy. If it's, you know, if it's your career, it gives you something more. If it's your mission, 
it doesn't wear you out. It brings energy to you. It's fulfilling. And if you can tie your mission in with the people that you love, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, there's some people in this room that are my friends. I see Dean here in the front row here. And it's like, we're all on this mission and we find time to connect and be with each other and have a blast with each other. But we're sharing about things that matter. I'm, I'm not a person to go to a party and like, you know, go in the corner and chit chat. It's like, you want to talk about something deep? Let's rock. You don't. <laughs> let, me, let me go home and be with my family. Or, you know, let me go uh, do something fun, something of that nature. But in the middle of all that craziness, you know, we were stuck for two days, so we went ice racing. A group of my friends and I were with me, and my, some of them are my security guards, some of them my co-workers, some are partners I have in business, but we went 70 kilometers below the, the equator and just, or excuse me, the Arctic, and went 200 miles an hour and Lamborghinis. I was doing it like this. <laughs> I, I, I love that you said you're stuck and you went, you did this versus like get, going to a spa and getting pedicures. Yeah, like going through that shit. So, <laughs> so I was able to squeeze in a Porsche and if you can imagine 200 kilometers an hour on pure ice on a lake that's frozen, as fast as you can drive. And the beautiful thing about it is like, you know, most people have fears and, and I've learned to make sure I give myself enough fear to stay intelligent. But here you didn't have to have it because when you wrecked, you just went straight into the snow. It was just incredible. So, but we do crazy <laughs> things together. We have a blast together. We laugh, you know, we cry, we see the impact. And to me, I, there is no dividing line. And for my kids, you know, like all the work we do feeding people, my youngest son, Jarek, when he was five or maybe six, probably five, uh, we would go, and even in the early days, I was feeding families, and I'd take all my friends, and we'd build these baskets up, make them great, and we, we'd fed all the families. We had some food left, some baskets left, so we went to this place in Oceanside, this park, and there was a man lying on the ground in the toilet area, covered with a bunch of pieces of rags, and so, you know, I gave it to my son, and I said, come on, he could barely hold the thing, it was so big. I said, you know, we're going to help you, give this to this man. He goes, and so he set it down next to the man, all of a sudden the man jumped up and grabbed my son's hand. And I jumped, my son jumped, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and then he just did this. And he put it down. My son is 30, what, one years old now, 32 years old now. He's just gotten married. He was working on kids. His entire life is about contribution. He's got a heart this big. He works his ass off but he does it in a way that's so fulfilling and his wife travels with them and they have this great life and he doesn't have to pick between work and mission and he's not burnt out and he's probably been to a hundred countries and I'm proud as hell of him. It's just like, if you can combine your mission with your family, combine your mission with some of your friends, then you're gonna accomplish a million times more. But if you think it's a sacrifice, don't do it because then all you're doing is you're gonna have resentment later on or frustration later on. And, and you really aren't contributing because it's you're you're trading off. You're not giving. No, oh, great, great. Um, yeah, ditto. Uh, <clears throat> I I think uh, uh, I'm a nine-year-old kid. Those of you who know me know I am a nine-year-old child in my body, pinching myself every day that I get to do the shit that I get to do. It yeah. is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. could not, would not want to be doing anything else. I mean, there's hard work, and it's. And it's like, I'm pushing myself for anybody else, but I love it, I love it, I love it. I cannot imagine doing anything else. And that's the challenge, right? The question is, a lot of people are doing something to get to something else. And that's just wrong. I agree. And it's a matter of, don't do it because your parents told you, because you heard on an infomercial, because whatever. If, do what is your highest calling in life and love it. And so uh, I don't work at all. I really don't work. And, and the shit that's work, you know, Dan has told me to get rid of it. And so I get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this, this room is filled with some very high achievers. And obviously what I wanted to 
derive from you guys is just some insights, some how-tos, some what it is you do to just give them, you know, perspective and stuff. And I, I carefully chose some questions. Uh, and this one is, you're both masters at achieving what most people consider impossible. And I mean, really, like what you guys do, most people consider absolutely impossible. So uh, when something is considered, quote unquote, impossible, how do you reframe it so it becomes possible in your mind? Uh, and how much of that is mindset? Well, I, I think um, impossible is not a fact, it's an opinion. When someone tells me it's impossible, I always just look at them. Anybody around me knows that they can't do that. So that's part of it. But if they didn't know me, it's, it's your opinion. And they'll say, no, science shows. And I say, yeah, and how many times has science shows something's impossible? Now science shows it's possible. It, things are impossible until somebody does it. And so uh, I find that, you know, most of your business people, you look at businesses and what does it take to make a business grow? It's not impossible like a business grow. A business has been shrinking for a long time or it's been stuck. The real problem is always, the chokehold is always the psychology and the skills of the leader. Always. And 80% of that is psychology and 20% is the mechanics. Like if you don't know how to read your financials and you're trying to fly the plane of your, your company, I mean, come on. You know, if all you do is go down and you look at profit loss and you see what it is and you have a beer, either way, you either celebrate or you get depressed, you know, something, uh, you know, you're going to be in trouble, right? But if you have the skill sets, that's one thing. But you can get any skill set if you have the psychology. And any time a business is not growing, it is not because it's impossible. It's because they aren't innovating. And they're not innovating because they're believing it's impossible. I mean, if, if we all know what does it take to transform, and obviously people, it takes three things to create a breakthrough in anything, in your personal life, in your business, anywhere. You need a strategy. But that's not the first place you should look, and it's the first place all of us look. Me too. It's our inherent thing. You want to lose weight? Well, how do I do it? I want to grow my business, how do I do it? It's, it's instinctive, we've been trained to think that way, but the problem is the how-to is usually not that complex. I mean, come on, 70% of America is what, 75% of America now is overweight? Is that because it's so complex that it'd be fit and strong, right, you know? Only the 1% know the answers, they hide it from you. You have to work your ass off to not hear what it takes, right? <laughs> and so, so, you know, I, I remember I went to this, uh, I went to a TED Med Center and I watched about 12 doctors, one after another, get up and do these stories about how we could just get patients to take their medications and try to figure out the whole thing. And I was just looking at them going, you're all talking about strategy and you've forgotten psychology. Because strategy is wonderful. I'm a strategist. I spent my whole life figuring out strategies. As we both know, a strategy could save you a decade, right? And business strategy could save you, you know, it could make the difference between success and failure. But most people have strategies available, or they could get them, or you could create them, but the problem is you got a story. And your story is why it isn't working. And the story is, I've tried what? Everything. What? Everything. everything. If you tried everything, you'd be fit, right? <laughs> if you tried everything, you'd be profitable. If you tried everything, you'd be there. But people say it, you know, I'm big boned. That's what I used to say. <laughs> I'm still big boned, but I'm 38 pounds lighter than I was 25 years ago, and I've never gained it back, right? When I was big boned, that was my story. All the good ones are gone. That's why I'm not in a relationship. Or they're gay and I'm not, or I'm gay and they are, whatever the story is. There's always a story. And what I tell people is, you know, if you can just divorce the story of your limitation and marry the truth of your unlimited capacity, then the whole game changes. But it's hard to do that because when you're in your story, you, you don't even realize it. So you need a third piece for a breakthrough. And that's really what my life's about, which is changing people's states. Because in a different state, we're different people. You know, can mean people be nice? Yes or no? Yes or no? Of course they are, when they're in a nice state. Can nice people be mean? Sure, they get a mean state. So 
really learning to train yourself to be in an ideal state where the best of you comes out for yourself, for your family, for your mission, for your world, for your coworkers. To me, that's one of the most important decisions in life to make. If you ask me, I've, out of all the people I've met, all the things I've seen, you know, what creates a magnificent life? You know, everybody has goals and dreams that are different. Some people want, you know, picket fence. Some want to make a billion dollars. Some, you know, want to have this huge breakthrough in technology. Some people want to write beautiful poetry. Whatever is right for people is what I want them for themselves. I don't want them to be like me or you or anybody else. I want them to have their dream. But to have it, you need two skills. You need, number one, to have the science of achievement. It's a science. You have to know how to take your vision and make it real. And most of the people in this room have already figured that out. And this guy sure as hell has, and you have, and I have. So most of us know, and we can all refine our skills in that area. But we know how to take what we dream about, make it real. And if you don't, you can learn from somebody who does. You know, the simplest thing is get crazily hungry for something. We all know when you get so hungry, so desirous, your brain starts coming up with answers. And then it's massive action, but effective execution, which is all modeling, which is I assume what this is about. Find the best example, compress the time. Let someone else take 20 years to figure it out. You do it in two weeks or two months or whatever the period is. That's, we should all be standing on the shoulders of the people around us instead of reinventing the wheel. And then there's this thing called grace. You know, if you work your ass off, you're totally focused, you're trying to serve something larger than yourself, and you really are executing what works, you need a little grace. You might want to call it luck if you prefer um, God, the universe, but it's there. And we can all achieve. But I think the more important skill, if you ask me, is to have an extraordinary life is the art of fulfillment. And it's an art. It's not a science. Because there's a science to making money. I don't care who you are. If you do certain things, you're going to have too much financial stress. You do other things, you're gonna have an abundance. There's a science, there's a science to your body. Everyone here is biochemically different, different genome, but there are certain fundamental patterns that if you and I follow them, you're gonna have tons of energy, you're gonna feel good. If you break them, you're gonna pay the price and have low energy or disease. But fulfillment is an art. What's gonna fulfill you is different than the other person next to you. You're not gonna learn that from anybody else. And you gotta find it, because success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And I get those phone calls all the time for the multi-billionaire entrepreneur or politician or business person or the person just won their Academy Award and they're depressed and they can't tell anybody because they got all their goals but they're not fulfilled because they really don't have that sense of meaning in their life. They went for something and they got it, they achieved. And if you doubt this, what I'm saying is relevant to you or us or anyone, just think about it. about a year, what, a month ago, we lost um, what I consider to be a national treasure, Robin Williams. How many of you loved Robin Williams? Look around the room, keep your hands up, look. And most of you didn't know him. Almost every, and where you go in the world, people love Robin Williams. By the way, was he great at achievement? Oh my God, that guy, he said he wanted to make, become a great comedian, he did that. I want to make the world laugh, he did it. I want to make my own TV show, he did it. I want to have the number one TV show, he did it. I want to make movies, he did it. I want an Academy Award for not being funny. Not his skill set, drama, and he did it. I want a beautiful family, and he did it. And then he hung himself. Make everybody happy but yourself. Not a good plan. So if I had a gift to give you, it would be maybe make a different decision. And the decision is that no matter what happens in your life, you're gonna live in a beautiful state. A beautiful state. And that could be happy, that could be grateful, that could be being generous. Those are all beautiful states, aren't they? It could be curious. It could be fun. It could be playful. You're not limited to one state, but it's different than suffering. And most people's suffering, and all suffering I've ever seen, I've traveled to 100 countries, I've dealt with 
presidents of countries and, you know, presidents of businesses, CEOs. I've dealt with people in prison. I've dealt with, you name it, average people. Suffering always comes because you're obsessed about something related to you. You can only be depressed if you're focusing on yourself. You say, no, I'm depressed because it's my kids and, and they're not doing well. No, you're depressed because you feel you failed your kids. It's about you. It's about how you think you, what you should have done or shouldn't have done or what someone did to you or didn't do to you in the past or the future, which don't even exist. So I have a simple goal. My goal is help people make a decision that says, I don't know what's gonna happen. You might get a divorce, even though you don't think so. You might find a family of your family with cancer. You might have your house get burned down or have a tornado go by, and if you live in the same place, it happens every two years and you move back, we should talk, but you know, <laughs> some people seem to do that for some reason. You can't control those things. I can't control those things. I don't want those to happen to you or anybody I love or anybody who's even a stranger to me, but they're going to happen. True? Not positive thinking bullshit, just the truth. So if that's gonna happen, I say make a decision now that says, I'm gonna live in a beautiful state and I'm gonna find beauty in whatever life brings me. Because life is too short not to. I see a little buddy over here named Sean. I remember when I got a phone call from the Make-A-Wish Foundation, say so you have a young man that's about to die and he wants to meet you. And he came to the seminar and then I took him out afterwards. And at the time, if he coughed too much, they said, they said you can't grab him. I said, I wanna take him across the fire. They said, take him across the fire? I said, if he, if he coughs, he'll break the rib. I said, I'll be really gentle. We're gonna do this thing. And he did it. And then afterwards I sat down with him and said, man, I don't have the answers, but if your body is, you're just coughing and it's gonna make you break a rib, your body is so acid. I said, you should get alkaline. Let me put you together with a doctor. How many years ago was that? You were 19 and you're now 36. I like seeing you here still, brother. Give him a hand, he's a beautiful man. He's a beautiful man. But Sean, what made me think of Sean is Sean lives in a beautiful state. He could be bitching and complaining and whining. What does he do? His whole life is not about himself. That's why he's so happy. He doesn't live in himself. He lives outside himself, serving things he loves. He still takes care of himself and he's funny as shit and he, he likes to seduce women and things like I can't talk about right now, but. <laughs> oh, you're married now, okay, well, it's good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it's about frickin' time, all right, Sean? Uh, it's good to see you grew up. Now, um, the bottom line is this young man over here who now is at a different stage of life, he's always been who he is. I think he lived because he lived for more than himself. He, I, I'm sure he felt pain, but we only suffer when we think about what's being done to us or what people are gonna think, or what they should have done or hadn't done, and you can't control that stuff anyway. I mean, why be pissed when people are gonna do it? Are people gonna be mean, yes or no? Are people gonna be unfair and unjust, yes or no? Are people gonna be beautiful and generous, yes or no? You just never know when that shit's gonna happen, so might as well enjoy yourself along the way. <laughs> and I suggest today, if you want, if there's any gift I came by to give you, it's to tell you what you know already, but get you to make a decision about it to actually decide I'm gonna live in a beautiful state. That doesn't mean I don't get angry or pissed or tired. Or, you know, suffering arises and you end it the moment you go, holy shit, I'm thinking about me. If I leave this, I'll always be suffering. The human mind is always looking for what's wrong. The human brain is not designed to make you happy. It's designed to make you survive. Happiness, that's your job. And you only get it if you draw a line in the sand, that's how it's gonna be. And I can tell you the few people that do it, I know a few people that have done it, they have magnificent lives. And 
When you're in a beautiful state, the best ideas come in. This man lives in a beautiful state. Every time I talk to him, I love seeing Peter. Peter's just always on fire about something. But notice, you know, he's doing unbelievably well. There's nothing wrong with that. But almost everything he's doing is about more than himself. And so that's why he feels so alive. He's not suffering an ounce. He's in ecstasy. He's not lucky. He's living life a certain way. It's a beautiful way. I'm honored to have you as a friend. Thank you, brother. Wow. Now say something better than that. <laughs> I mean, like, let's, let's really see how good you are here, man. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, this guy goes to my mind. I'm like, there's no way to follow this. What, what the hell was the question? He doesn't say anything. <laughs> Truthfully, he doesn't have to say anything. He lives this shit. I'm just telling you what he lives. He really does. I'm not saying that to blow smoke. This guy lives it. If you meet this man, how many met this man before and he was in a wonderful state? Let me show you hands. I don't think I've ever seen him not in a wonderful state. I've seen him have some painful, challenging places, but he doesn't stay there. And look at what he's able to create because of it. He's a, he has a nine-year-old boy who's on fire. He's on fire to light the world on fire with what's possible. It's a beautiful thing, I honor you. So the contribution I'll make, thank you, Tony. Um, and I think it was about impossible and mindset and so forth. Yeah. <clears throat> is the reality is there is very little that's impossible, period. It just is. And, and your mindset, as soon as you say something is impossible, then you shut down every possibility for solving it, right? And we all know this. And the challenge is that it's really hard not to be in that state because we get thrown stuff all the time. And what I want to share with you is an experiment, which is to say, okay, not only how do I make it not, how do I make it possible, but how do I actually go 10 times bigger? And you've heard me speak about this, you know, moonshot thinking, bold thinking, whatever the case, whatever terminology you want to give it. And most of us in our life, are trying to make a 10% improvement. And we know this. This is, I'm trying to increase my revenues by 10%, I'm trying to increase my, reduce my sales by 10%, save 10% more of the, you know, the lands out there. Whatever it truly is, we all have this sort of beaten into us by life and by the rest of the universe that you can make these small incremental improvements. But the fact of the matter is that there are those in the world that go 10 times bigger. And you, every one of us can be that. And as soon as you say, I, wanna, I want to not only solve this thing, but go 10 times bigger in my work, in the things. And can I say this? In something that you're truly passionate about, not just about earning a little bit more money. I mean, it really should be in something that you care truly about, that is bigger than yourself, that is impacting the world. As soon as you try and go 10 times bigger, three magical things happen. Number one, even if you have no idea how to solve it, no idea how to get there, you'll be amazed at what you come up with. And what's interesting is our legacy, our past, anchors us to where we are today. And you have to let go of that. You truly have to let go of all the stuff in your past, what you thought you'd done, all of the, you know, the infrastructure that you've built to let yourself go. Um, you know, when Elon Musk built Tesla, the reason Tesla was such an amazingly better car is he didn't have 100 years of Detroit to hold on to. He started with a clean sheet of paper and imagine what could be. The second thing is when you try and go 10 times bigger versus 10% bigger, it's 100 times the value proposition. And it's never 100 times uh, 
more expensive or 100 times harder. And so you get this increased capability. And then the third thing is when you try and go you know, 10 times bigger, to solve a problem 10 times bigger, you've got to reinvent stuff. You have to actually go and figure out, okay, I have no idea how I'm going to solve that, but you're going to start to reinvent things. So when Eric and I were working on you know, asteroid mining, we had to reinvent. We had to have you know, so much computational power on board the spacecraft. We had to come up with brand new sensors and hyperspectral and mid-wave IR that didn't exist, had never been licensed, because these spacecraft were going to be operating at 200 million miles away, and that forced us to come up with new kinds of capabilities that were not currently possible. And you'll be amazed what those capabilities that you create in your business, in your life, enable you to do. And so there's this massive benefit, this payoff, this dividend that comes from expanding your mind and not being anchored to the past. And so I, I think that there are very few things that are truly impossible. I think that impossible is a, is a state of mind. And I'll say one other thing. The people in your life are part of that anchoring. And so how do you anchor yourself with a new set of people? Right? I'm looking at my dear friend Naveen Jain here, with whom we've opened up XPRIZE India and are really working on solving women's and girls' issues in India and providing abundant drinking water in India. I mean, so who do you, how do you surround yourself with amazing people who live in the state of anything is possible? I'm blessed at XPRIZE, at Singularity University, at HLI and PRI. I live, I live that constantly. And so how do you do that? Where are you doing that? What is your nothing is impossible community? Here. Yeah, it is here. It is truly here. And so that's really critically important because once you get into that mindset, then you start freeing yourself from the bullshit that, other, that you tell yourself and people tell you. Because we are living in a world where constant amazing miracles happen. The other thing, because I'll put my commercial into this, stop watching the news. Stop watching the news. You could not pay me enough to have the crisis news network or the constantly negative news network, whatever you call CNN, pollute my mind. Really, I have social networks, I have you know, Google filters and so forth. I was just telling Ariana uh, about this and hopefully she'll do this. I want on the front page of Huffington Post, I said, I want a slider uh, where I can control the percentage of positive news stories. Right, how would you like that instead of, because right now it's, because right now it's, it's, you know, it's, 10 to 1 negative to positive, and that pollutes your mind. And we heard an amazing presentation this morning. I, I apologize. Who was, who was the gentleman who was talking about that? Um, talking about, you know, a few minutes of negative news in the morning. Thank Sean you. Nathan. Yeah, Sean. Um, it's true. It's like, why would you possibly invest in the world and in the life and all these things if the world is falling apart? If, you know, if the crisis new network is like showing you airplane accident, airplane accident, airplane accident, what problem is that the news networks never tell you, there was no school shooting today at this school, <laughs> you know, or there was, this airplane actually flew LA to New York and actually made it and everybody survived. That's not news. And so we get this disproportionate view. And so our minds are constantly, the mindset you have when you watch the negative news is awful. Not that it's not going on. It's not that there's this amazing hardship and, and lives that are on the precipice of, of hunger and death around the world. 
but the world is getting better at an extraordinary rate, and you can make a difference in it. And there is no problem. There is no problem we cannot solve, period. End of statement. So. Awesome. All right, there's so many questions here, but there's only so much time. So since both of you are two of the, the greatest achievers and biggest thinkers, at least, that I know. In the history of humanity. In, well, <laughs> honest to God, you know what? No, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a very serious way, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I can't imagine there will ever be another Tony Robbins. You are a freaking freak true. of nature. Yeah, that's true. A force of nature. And, I mean, one of the most amazing things, like, when, when I went to date with Destiny, which you're doing, I don't know if you're going to turn that into a documentary, a movie, whatever, because just seeing you process people, where you, you know, Tony, if you've never seen it, he'll ask, how many of you came here, you're thinking about committing suicide? And literally, I don't know, anywhere from six to 12 or whatever, I don't know the amount, stand up, and you literally take that shit on. I don't know another human I, being that could, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling, and you flip it. You take a person in a horrible, hopeless state, and they're coming to your seminar maybe as a last-ditch effort, but there's that hope. And you just channel it, but then you share that with freaking thousands of people live on the spot. I mean, and that's just one of, like, hundreds of things that you do that and, are mind-boggling. And, and you're, everybody in the audience thinks there's no way. There's no way he can do this. There's no way you can solve <laughs> How can you possibly? And then, boom, it's done. You do it. It is, it is uh, truly a, a blessing to have it, you on the planet. It's a blessing. It's I mean, like, were you born this way? Oh, it's a stupid question, but like, I'm saying it for other people. Like, you built yourself to be Tony Robbins. Who published your gene sequence? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was a kid from Azusa who had no certainty, who uh, we had no food and had to be in charge because uh, my mother was a little crazy. And I promised myself that my future family would never go through this. And so I decided I hated suffering because I experienced it and I wanted to end it. So I read 700 books in the area of human development, psychology and physiology when I was still 17, 18, 19 to 21, 22 years old. I was saying I was gonna read a book a day, I didn't do that, but I'm still immersed. I went to every event, I listened to everything, I got immersed. But uh, when it comes to people, you know, I've been doing now, I've been doing this for, you know, 38 years and I've been with 50 million people, so, um, and 100 countries. So there's nothing I haven't seen at this point when somebody stands up. So it's beautiful, it happens different every time it comes through me. And I really believe in grace. I really believe it's there. But I prepare at a level that most, most people never dream of. Um, and I also know that there's whatever human beings feel, we are not our feelings. We are not our patterns. Those are things we might identify with, but we're not that. And so when I see a pattern and it doesn't work, I don't think the person's broken. I don't think anybody's broken. I'm not here to fix people. But I am here to break up the patterns that don't work. And I've never lost a suicide, knock on wood. And you know, thousands for 38 years, and we follow up two years later, three years later. We're making, they're making a documentary right now, Date with Destiny, that's coming to Sundance uh, for January. So wow. you'll see all these people and their lives change and stuff like that. But what's the question? Well, so the question was, <laughs> so, be, so how do you both deal with or think about or even channel like extreme levels of stress, adversity, criticism, public opinion, or failure? Because both of you have had, you know, things that just flat out didn't work, but you're quite... You're public figures, and how do you handle it, or deal with it, or think about it? Um, I really let go of criticism really fast. I actually, I, um, I might, you know, sort of process it in the moment to try and figure out is there something that I truly can learn from there valid, but I let go of it really fast. And so if I'm in a, you know, 
uh, a fight, a personal fight or whatever, it's like, is so, time is so precious. Time is so precious. Uh, failure, um, God, I've had a, a wonderful series of failures. And, um, you know, I built a launch vehicle company that we won this huge contract and couldn't finance it and had to close it down. Um, I built a, a multitude of companies. You know, luckily, you know, a third have been great, a third have been okay, and a third have been life lessons. Um, but it's, I have to believe that what I'm doing in my heart of hearts is the right thing to do. And if I'm doing the very best I can, and I believe it is something, because when I take a dollar from somebody as a donation or as an investment, I, and those of you who are in the room here who, who have supported me or invested in me know that. It's like, it's me. It's like you got, you got my cell phone number and I care and I am so, so committed to making, you know, to, to delivering. I will do everything I possibly can. So I need to know that for myself. And I can sleep at night if something fails, but I know I gave it everything I possibly could. And there are also those times where shit is hitting, you know, it's like nosedive. And I will stop everything else I'm doing and I will go laser-like on that. 100%, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I will do everything humanly possible. Um, and it takes that a lot of times. It absolutely takes that a lot of times. So, I mean, that's for me. Awesome, thank you. I would say, um, you know, I, I love to light people up. I'm, since I was a little kid, I love to light people up. And so early on, I was want to make everybody happy all the time. And then I, you know, I come in this package, I was 5'1", and then next thing I know, I'm 6'7". I grew 10 inches in a year because I had a tumor in my brain. And, um, and I didn't even know it. And I grew, so I'm big. And so, and I'm, you know, quiet and unassuming. I have a hard time expressing my true feelings. So it makes it difficult for people to right. understand what I'm really like. Um, no, I'm fairly loud and intense. And, and so I realized, uh, thank you very okay. much. But I, what, what happened for me in the beginning is I was trying to make everybody happy all the time. And, and then I just began to realize not everybody wants to be happy. And, um, and gradually I began to realize opinions are a dime a dozen, but impact is all that matters to me. So you know when you've had the impact, and you don't need anybody else to tell you, and you don't need somebody else to acknowledge you, and you know, put, put stars in your chart. When you do what's right, you know it. And no one can take that from you. They can take away anything you have, but they can't take away who you become. And you become something unique when you find a way to grow and you find a way to give. And when you do that consistently, it creates an extraordinary life. So I'd lie to say that I you know, want people, I don't want people to hate me or dislike me, but it wouldn't be accurate to say I don't care but I don't care enough to change what I'm doing. What I'm doing is valuable. And I think that as far as failure is concerned, oh my God, there's just so many failures, but I, I just don't hold it that way. And it's not a technique or being positive, it's just being intelligent. You know, failure is education if you use it. I mean, if you learn something, it's not a failure. If you don't learn anything, then it's failure. But if you learn something, I mean, how many of you in this room have had something happen in your life that was horrific, you hated it, you'd never want to go through it again, you'd never want somebody you care about to go through it, but looking back on it five, 10 years later, you say, I'm so glad I went through that because it made me so much stronger or so much smarter or made me care so much more. Who can relate? I'm curious, right? So if that's true, then you know, why not adopt the philosophy that life is not happening to me, it's happening for me? And that everything's happening for me, even what I thought was failure, and now my job is to figure out where's the benefit and use it use it for greater good. So um, I'm sh I could probably list unlimited failures, but I would be insincere because I don't really look at them as failure. And that's not because I'm positive, it's just because I, I work my ass off to figure out what can I learn from that? How can I use that? 
and I'd like to make ha people happy, and, but I've also learned in business, like, I fire customers, man. I was like, if I find someone that's an asshole, I don't need them. It's a privilege to do business with us because we will more than deliver times 10. And so I teach my team, we've, and it's so rare we have to do it anymore, but, you know, you fire a customer and you say, listen, we're not going to be able to meet your needs clearly because there are there people out there that no matter what you do, they're going to be unhappy, yes or no? But why are you doing business with them and, you, and taking the life energy of your organization from it? I get rid of them so fast and then they always want back in and I never let them back, never. And then <coughs> but they become a public hanging and other people go, well, this is how you play here. Because in the world of the internet, we've lost any form of kindness. People say things that are the most harsh, horrific things. I'm not talking about to me. I'm sorry. I remember reading one time, we were in Las Vegas and my wife liked, uh, what's the woman who's it? Uh, singer there, she was there for so long. What the heck's her name? Celine Dion. Celine Dion, thank you. And, and so my wife went online and she was looking at one of her videos and underneath it, it's like, you bitch, you lost that child because you put your career first. I mean, the stuff people write, and all it is is people who feel insignificant, who would never have the guts to say something to your face, but we've created an environment where it's tolerated. And so I think reversing that it's really important. You have to define your environment, your business, your world, your family, because we all get what we tolerate. I won't tolerate it. I'll give my soul to a stranger, but I won't tolerate somebody being abusive to any member of my team or to people in my audience or to me, certainly not to my family. And you get what you tolerate, you gotta decide. And you also get what you tolerate in yourself. And I think if you can look at what you're tolerating yourself and say, I'm not gonna tolerate that anymore in myself, then it's easier to lead other people. If you're just telling other people you won't tolerate, they'll look at you and go, yeah, yeah, you don't tolerate, but look how you are. And you don't have to be perfect, but people see how, you know, you don't have to know who I am. You don't have to watch my lips move. You can see how my feet have moved for 38 years. That's Tony Robbins, right? That's probably the best signature you can give. That's the brand that you put out there. It's the way you live. The, the thing you said, the line, which I, I love, life uh, is not happening uh, to me, it's happening for me. Is that like, you know, I mean, is part of that a trick you plan yourself or do you truly believe everything you have, you are able to take that as, as ingredients of this is all happening for me, the shittiest, most horrible, most horrendous thing from diseases to, to suffering. I mean, that's, that's an important line and I like to... It's not just, it's not just a line. I, there's a, a woman that I just saw that I'd met 15 years ago and she just showed up at my seminar and she was suicidal because uh, one of her daughters had gotten sick and she brought her to the hospital and the doctor said she finally brought her home and the child died. And she was gonna kill herself and she had three other kids. So I really, truly had to work with her and I remember working with her back then, I looked it up because we have all, all stuff I've ever done on film. And I asked her, I said, what are your spiritual beliefs? And she said, I believe everything happens for a reason and all that stuff, he said, so you're gonna abandon what you believe spiritually because life didn't turn out the way you want right now. She says, no, no, no. I said, if it's, if it's the truth, it'll be the truth when it's painful, it'll be the truth when it's pleasurable. So I, I would lie to you to say, oh, I jump up and go, oh, this is happening for me right now, bitch. I, I don't do that. <laughs> I think, what the hell's happening? Why? And then I catch myself and I go, there's some good in this. And my core belief, my real core belief underneath that is, Everything I've ever been able to help people with is because I faced some portion of it. If, if, if I, you know, have, I have to face a divorce, I decided I needed to go through a divorce and was, I didn't want to, no one you to pick your partner after 14 years. It was the most terrific thing in the world, but I thought if I can figure out how to do this elegantly, intelligently, lovingly, no matter what the other party's like, then I can help anybody else. If I, you know, I've had several businesses over the decades that were, you know, near the 
verge of bankruptcy out of resort in Fiji and there's a coup. You know, it's kind of, kind of inconvenient, <laughs> you know, and I'm losing a million dollars a month, you know, and it's like, and I didn't have a million dollars a month to be losing at that time because I wanted to create this great place for people. But it's like in the midst of all those elements, you know, I'd come back and say, if I can figure this out, I can help any other business. So almost all my skills have come because of something I had to solve in me or help someone else solve. And my view is if I can figure it out for me, I can help millions of people. And so that makes the problem inspiring as opposed to the problem being why did it happen to me? Because we're all gonna experience problems. I mean, the only thing that we all have in common is everyone here is gonna experience severe pain. I don't care how rich you are, money is not gonna create immunity to pain. Suffering can get immunity from, from the decision I told you about, but we're all gonna have problems, we're all gonna have challenges. The only difference is what the hell are you gonna do with them? And if we just deal with our own problems, they get really boring and some people need problems to have drama in their life to cover the fact they're not doing anything. But I think it's much more interesting to solve it and move on and help other people do the same because you've actually done it, not because you talk about it. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, what I love is Robin Sharma, who we did a, a call with. He's in the room. He's, he has his thing, the 5 a.m. club, a guy named Hal. Elrod uh, wrote a, a book of Miracle Morning. You do priming in the morning. I, I'd love to hear what you guys feel are your best rituals or what it is that, that you are doing that just massively impacts you to be as effective as both of you are? If there's something simple or something that you just do that makes your life work, starting to be at a morning ritual or just anything that, that people here this, could this do. Just watching cartoons with my kids at 7 a.m. <laughs> count. No, you, you, that may be accurate. Um, I mean, uh, it's, uh, for me, it's anchored in, uh, my, my desiring to do, to make the impossible stuff I set out happen, right? It's, it's anchored in this infinity challenge. I'm never bored. These problems I've, I've taken on with an amazing group of people are all sort of infinite and there's no getting there. So, when they're, for me, they're my guiding stars. So it's like, okay, what am I gonna do right now to move the game forward this day? Um, you know, I wish I could say I was a great meditator or yoga person or so forth, and that will come, uh, but not right now. For me, it's just, uh, it's dedication to the child inside me and what I care deeply about, which is making this, uh, making these succeed. And, and ultimately, it's, it's trying to be clear about what I'm enjoying doing, right? It's surfing the, the stuff I love versus this is work. I'm probably not good at this work. Who else can I find that can do it? And doing the stuff that I truly love better uh, and doing more of, more of that. Um, I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing sophisticated there. Tony, what do you, what do you got? Well, um, I think uh, anyone who succeeds has something that they aspire to. There's a mission, there's a direction, there's a desire, and they bring it up regularly. And you do that, even though you say you don't do it in a sophisticated way. <laughs> Attacking the human genome and, and figuring out how to get meteors to, to feed you what you need is a, is a, is a fairly large vision, somewhat sophisticated. Uh, mine's really simple. Um, 
in mind simples, I, I believe that the body is the place that drives the mind the fastest. You can go inside your head all day long trying to resolve things and make excuses or freak out, but I learned early on in my life that in order to make myself do things, I had to trigger this body to feel strength and to know that when I say something, I mean it. And so I have a simple ritual that it's actually enjoyable, it may not sound enjoyable, but it is now, which is I get up every morning and I'm privileged to have multiple homes. So if I'm in those homes, uh, one of the homes I have a river, the rest of them I have cold plunges. And I, I go into a 56 degree temperature just for about 60 seconds, I jump straight in, or I was just in Sun Valley, the river's 38 degrees, a little bit cooler. Um, and I took my nephew and said, you're about to learn how to start your day. <laughs> and I bring all my friends when they come, they, they all have to do this. Um, they're like, holy shit, I know when I go see Tony, he's got something for me to do of this nature. But every cell, every nerve in your body explodes and it's phenomenal for your lymph system, phenomenal for your health, but it also is just a simple discipline that says, I say it, it happens. I, I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna do this, I do it. And I've done it so much, it's there and it's invigorating. And then I do, as you said, something I call priming. I don't, you know, you wake up and you're, you know, 22 hours off your normal time zone and you've got to get up and take care of 10,000 people for three days and nights for 14 to 15 hours. You don't always wake up feeling, wow, is this the coolest thing in the world? Um, somebody wake up and go, what universe is my body in, you know? And so I do my physical ritual, but then I also do this priming. And priming for me is just, I don't hope that I'm going to show up at my best. I create a state for it. Most of you know probably the principle of priming, you know, you can, they prove it in so many scientific studies. We all think we make our decisions consciously when much of our decision-making that we think is conscious is being made by contextual environmental manipulation that we're not even thinking about. In one study, they took some people and they uh, hired actors that would go to 100 people and they'd walk up to you and they were trained to do the exact same look, same expression, and they'd say, would you hold this? They hand you a coffee cup and they reach in their pocket and grab their phone, put them back and say, thank you very much. So they just kind of assume the action. And they would do it the same way, same facial expression. 100 people one way, 100 people other. And what was the only difference? Cold iced coffee versus hot coffee. An hour later, they come back with some people, different people, who've got little caps on, they're saying, listen, we'll give you $10 if it'll give us two minutes. If you'd read this three paragraph story and give us two question answers. And they read this little story, everyone reads the same story, and at the end they ask them, how would you describe the main character? What are they like as a person? 80% of the people that got warm coffee said they're warm, they're generous, they're loving, but warm is always one of the language patterns. 80% like clockwork, the people who got the iced coffee, same story, say that they're very cold, that they, had, they were they used general, uh, language like uh, being obsessed or being about themselves, selfish, things of this nature. I give you dozens of examples. So what I do each morning is I do a breathing pattern. It's an explosive breathing pattern that I learned in India, breathing your breath in and exploding it out, you know, from the gut out the nose. And I do that three sets of 10, pause, three sets of 10, pause, three sets of 10. So it alters my state. And I just do three things for 10 minutes because I have this deal with myself. If you don't have 10 minutes for yourself, you don't have a life. Who's with me on this? <laughs> so I said, you know what? I don't, I don't need to have 20 minute, 30 minute, 40 minute meditations. I want 10 minutes and I don't know what I need to meditate. I don't know if I'm gonna meditate. I don't, to not think, I don't know too many people can do that. And I don't even know that I wanna not freaking think. You know? So I thought what I wanna do is I wanna focus on the emotions that will cause me to be the better me. And the two emotions that most people are messed up by are anger and fear. And when you're grateful, you can't be angry. Try to be grateful and angry simultaneously, it'll never work. And you can't be fearful when you're grateful. 
So when I look at people, almost always they're reacting out of fear or they're reacting out of anger. It's some version of those two. So gratitude to me is the antidote. So I spend three minutes, just three minutes, and I think of three things I'm grateful for, three people, three situations, but I step into it. I don't, you know, I don't remember the roller coaster over there riding it. I put myself in the front seat going over the edge so I feel the moment. And I make sure one of the three things I'm grateful for is something really simple, like the wind on my face or something beautiful like my child's smile. And the reason I do that is because I remember, you know, interviewing some of the astronauts, Buzz Aldrin and these guys, and, and most of you probably know, you can imagine, you know, to be an astronaut, this man knows, I mean, to aspire to do that, and then to go through the thousands of people and be picked, and then to actually go to the moon and stand on the moon and look back and see that picture we've all seen, that blue-green earth, I mean, you imagine, and then you come home, and what happens? There's a ticker tape parade, and you shake the president's hand, and now what the hell do you do? You're 32. What the hell do you do for the rest of your life? <laughs> and you know what? If you know the story of many of these astronauts, most of them had some major emotional challenges, right? Some abused alcohol, some drugs, and they had a real rough time because they forgot to find adventure in a smile. They thought the only way to just go to the moon. So I train myself to make sure not just the big, beautiful things that are part of my life, but the little things. And so I feel that for three minutes, then I do three minutes of a blessing, horny as it may sound. I, I, I imagine life, God, energy coming into my body, healing every muscle, every nerve in my body, strengthening everything as you strengthen, strengthening the best of me, my passion, my love, my generosity, my creativity, my humor, my love. And then I see any problem that needs to be solved just being solved, because otherwise I tend to think I gotta do it all. And then once I feel that fully, and that energy comes through me and back through me multiple times, then I do a circle of my intimate family, my kids, my wife, my friends. This little character over here is one of my list. And I just circle out all the way out to my clients. And I send that same energy to them. And I imagine, as corny as it sounds, they're being healed. They're getting what they need energy-wise. They're having the life that they deserve and seeing it multiply. So I do that for three minutes. And the last three minutes are my three to thrive. I think of three specific outcomes that matter to me and I don't think about achieving them. I see, feel, and experience them as done, and I see the impact that it has. I see people's lives touched. I see the joy. I feel it as done, and I feel grateful. And it's 10 minutes, but honestly, it usually goes 15 or 20 because I'm having a damn good time. <laughs> but awesome. by having a 10-minute walk, there's no excuse not to do it. And I do it every day, and I don't hope I'm gonna feel good. And then what happens is, you're primed, you're, you literally, you see things through a different set of filters. You make decisions from different filters. And also think of it, most people are wired for stress, they're wired for frustration, they're wired for feeling lonely, and they, you know, they got a highway to pissed off and they've got dirt roads to happiness. So I decided I'm gonna wire myself for happiness. I wasn't born that way. I had a, my view is I have to change the whole earth to be happy. Today, that's different for me. Now I can just wake up and be happy because I've wired myself in a different way, neurologically. And then I show other people how to do this as well. That's awesome. Well, I just wanna give you guys an opportunity. If there's anything I should have asked, could have asked that I didn't that you wanna speak to or anything that both of you are up to that you'd like to make a request of all of the people in the room, I don't um, know if there's any questions anybody has here so we can address what they You guys for. got time for a few questions? We can do a, cu we can do a couple. Uh, go to the mic. Say who you are. Question, please. I'm Bill Harris. Tony, uh, I, I uh, spoke at your platinum group one time. Yes. And, and uh, I've had a few letters back and forth. With you. I don't know if you remember or anything, but you've had a big effect on my, on my life, and I definitely admire you uh, greatly too, Peter. Uh, what has inspired me about this? You know, there's... Every, I bet everybody in this room could say this. There have been people who have 
done something that caused me to, to take wherever I was and go 10 times bigger. And uh, Dan was certainly one of those people for me. And there have been other, others too. What I was struck with in the beginning when you were talking about the hunger thing and you were talking about the things that you're doing, uh, I, I am really big into being a philanthropist. I, I would say my life is now 60% philanthropy and 40% making the money yeah. to allow me to be a philanthropist. And so I, what I really got from what you guys said is I need to up-level that by 10 times. I really need to make that a lot bigger. I'm probably dropping about a half a million into charities right now. And so I'm going to make a commitment to myself that it's going to be 5 million a year. And I know this is incredibly small, but, uh, but uh, tell me what to, how, to, how to do it. Uh, I'll give you 100000 for your for your hunger. Great. I'll, I'll match you on it today. Nice. All right. You got a deal. Just see Sarah. Are you back there, Sarah? Uh, I'll ask my, if you go back to the sound table at the end, I'll have Sarah there and she'll coordinate with you and we'll make it happen together. All right. Thank you. Thank guys. you for your gift. You're awesome. Tony, I'm Brad Weimer. I was at UPW yesterday. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. What was that like for you? It's my second one. Wow. And uh, lots of new insight, which was a little shocking. I kind of came for what I referred to as a shot in the arm. Yes. And it was uh, a second time. You know, wow. I'm in a new place and new insight. So. Yeah, and a new you. Thank you for Thank doing you very that. Much. Thank you. I'm a little run down from it, so I don't know how the hell you're here in normal. Uh, <laughs> you were sitting most of the freaking time. Huh? I got breaks. <laughs> I got breaks during it, and you were up there the whole time. Yes. And I didn't get breaks. I took them. Yes. Anyway, my question for you is, during your morning rituals, do you time the three minutes? Do you just think, all no. right, I'm done with the three. I'm going to move on? I, I get a gut level feel where it is. I'm not that structured. I don't lock it down because, honestly... I would say most of the time I probably go 14 to 18 minutes truthfully. But if I have a timeline, I have my iPhone and I put a little timer and I have a little beep. So I hear it and I know and I make the pieces over there. If I'm like, if I'm tight in the morning and I'm gonna do it, I'm not gonna miss it still. Then I'll put the, you know, I'll put my timer on and click it on and make it go. But it doesn't have to be rigid. I'm just giving you an idea. You don't have to do what I do. I'm just trying to give you a sense. I think gratitude though is an emotion that people do not embody enough. It'll kill your fear and it'll kill your anger. And you kill those two things, and you got a very beautiful state you can live in. So it's, it's, it's wiring it for that. Yeah, well, time scarcity is an issue for me. So that three-minute, it's a mental thing, but that yeah. three-minute block, like a beep, makes a difference for me. Good. And if I what don't, happen, I think... What would happen if time wasn't scarce for you? That's a great question. But what would happen? Uh, well, the answer that I came up with over the weekend was that I would focus on uh, growth and uh, contribution more than... Significance. I think time is scarce for me because I'm focused on feeling like I accomplish things throughout yes. the day. And hey, I checked this box. I checked this box. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. And what I want to be focused on is not worrying about time because yeah. I'm focused on growing. I think um, I think everything has its balance, and I've certainly experienced what you're talking about for a good portion of my life. And I think a lot of it came from my fear of death. Is that there's only so much time. Like maybe I'm not going to be here very long and so I want to squeeze every moment, every ounce of it. And I still do, but somewhere along the line, at one point I started realizing this moment can feel like eternity or this moment can feel like a moment. And I'm the only one that controls that. And one of the ways I did that is I stopped letting technology control me and I made myself take control of my technology. Because today, almost all of us are living in reaction. We're being rewired. Our nervous system is being rewired by technology because... 
everybody loves variety, and why do you, when you get that little jiggle in your pocket, why do you even look? You look because who knows what it could be. If you go to Vegas and every time you pulled it down, it was a jackpot, it would be called a job. <laughs> it's the fact that it isn't always great and then something happens that you're not expecting and that's called variability and that variability wires you. And most of us are wired to respond to tweets and texts and things and trust me, they're all valuable, especially as marketers. But I, I really decided that I'm gonna decide what my fundamental most important things are and technology is going to serve me, I'm not gonna serve it. It was causing me to speed up because when you get 300 to 400 emails a day and you love everybody and you want to respond and you're on stage for 14 hours and then you're flying, I mean, my whole life was reacting and responding. So I changed that game and I retrained people how to communicate with me and I want to make people are served and I put new systems to do it. I suggest that you consider the possibility, just consider the possibility that you could breathe. <laughs> that's nice. I appreciate that. Blessings to you, brother. And Peter? Uh, there's, there's one thing I want to, I, I do want to put on the table here for all of you because it is, uh, it's the universe that I'm in and I see. Uh, we're living in a very different time than most all of human history. And it's a time where the rate of change is increasing. And I've been spending a lot of time recently in, in a field that, uh, of artificial intelligence and brain-computer interface and understanding what's going on because we are in the process right now of building the tech to jack in the brain directly to the internet. And uh, Ray Kurzweil is a dear friend of both of ours, my partner at Singularity University and my board at XPRIZE. Uh, we're having a conversation this weekend and you know, we are 15 years away 15 years, I mean, think about this, right? We're, we're 2015, so two, when, you remember when it was 2000? Not too far away. So 2030, his estimate, and Ray's probably the most successful predictor of the future. He's got 146 predictions over the last 30 years uh, with an 86% accuracy, just the numbers I remember. Uh, his prediction is that we will, in fact, be plugging in our brains into the cloud in 15 years. So what's it like when I can expand my memory capacity or my processing power, you know, 100x, 1,000x? And you may say it's, you know, it's BS, whatever. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is there is tech right now, and it's real right now of interfacing the brain. Um, the world's going to be changing in dramatic ways. And it's empowering each and every one of us to do more and more. So the question is, you know, getting your fundamentals right of who you are. Gratitude, absolutely, is the most important thing. But it's also being clear about the game we're going to play. What is the game you're up for in life? What is it you want to take on that is truly bigger than yourself? Because we can sort of like limit ourselves. But, you know, it's like, what do you want to do? I have, you know, to the person who was talking about philanthropy just recently, uh, at, at, the, uh, at the microphone, um, I have a bone to pick with, uh, with Gates and, uh, and Buffett who talk about, you know, the giving pledge. Uh, and, you know, that's nice, contribute some of your capital to philanthropy and so forth, but I think that's the wrong idea. I think each of us, all of us here in the room who are successful to be making an impact pledge, right? It's like, call your shot. In my life, I'm going to feed, you know, Probably it's going to be a billion people, right? It's like in my life, 
I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to stand for that. And so you can take on right here, right now, today, what is the impact that you want to, to have in this planet, leave in this world? And I'm, I'm not a, a big fan of death. You know, I'm doing everything I can to sort of extend the healthy human lifespan. And, but it comes. But what are you going to do right now during your lifetime? So I want to leave you with that idea. Thank you. We'll do last two questions, you and then you and then. The three of you have impacted my husband, the person who means the most to me in the world, a lot. And uh, Joe and Peter, they have their cards. I'll give your card, Tony, to somebody in the back. Thank you. Um, thank you. I wanted to go back to the criticism piece, and you both touched on it nicely, but I'd love to hear if you've had a time in the past where there was one person that it was really hard to let go of, and intellectually you knew, okay, you know, gotta let go, and everything happens for a reason, and, but there's just like one person whose criticism or hating or whatever it is that, that kept coming up for you, taking up space up here. Well, I, I just came out of the book, and it was number one bestseller in the New York Times, but I wanted it to be successful. I wasn't making money, I gave all the money away. I wanted it to be successful so it would reach a mass number of people. I spent four years on it. And I did 168 interviews. And uh, one guy that didn't interview me, I expected that I would be attacked by the wirehouses, you know, the big wirehouses. They didn't attack me. Some people who are, I was actually helping to promote, I was talking about getting a registered investment advisor to represent you, somebody who is legally responsible to make sure they put your needs ahead of their own, which 90% of those names you know, wealth managers and so forth, that's a broker. There's 300 names for a broker. And brokers are nice people, but they can only sell you what they have. They're going to sell you what they have. They're, if you go to a person that is a butcher, he's going to sell you meat. A dietician is going to say, hey, you're going to get cancer. Maybe we've got to have some fish here, some salad here. They're going to look at it differently. So I was doing that. But I had one guy that manages you know, less than $100 million. I mean, he couldn't handle a piece of my or a friend of mine's money, anybody's money. And he wrote this article. It was total lies, but it got covered around the world because they had a headline about it that says, here's why you shouldn't listen to Tony Robbins' financial advice. And none of them in the book is my financial advice, not one word. I took it all from the 50 smartest people on the planet. It didn't come from the place. I know the psychological side. I've certainly done well. I've built companies that now do $5 billion in sales each year. I know how to build a business. I know how to succeed. But when it came to the investment advice, I gave everybody else's. And it made me crazy because it was like, this guy's messing with my mission. And crazy. And that's the day that I came up with this suffering piece. I realized this is all about me. I say it's about everybody else, but it's really about he's attacking me. He's keeping me from getting what I want to do for everyone else. Still me. And I thought, of course he'd do that. You know, how else is he going to get attention to himself? And we all know something sucks is a great thing to write. You know, we all know that people do those you know, components so that when you search somebody's name, it comes up. I mean, this is a stupid technique. It's just part of the piece. So I just went, you know what? I got to let go of that piece. And maybe you remember the 168 interviews that have gone well, or, you know, uh, an article came out the day before, which I'd completely forgotten, from Steve Forbes saying if there was a, a book that win a Pulitzer Prize for finance, this book would hand, win hands down. I'd forgotten that shit, and I was focused on him. <laughs> All right, so I'm more than human. Um, but I, when I caught myself, I stopped, and that was it. I just like, that's it, it's done. I had somebody put out what the truth was and then just moved on. And what was great is in the world we live in today, when people read your work and everything else, customers put out the truth. You know, you don't even have to do it anymore. That's the beautiful thing, so it's there. But so I'm, I wouldn't, I don't wanna give the impression to anybody that I don't get hooked, because that would be total bullshit. It's I don't stay hooked, right? And I, I know the truth. I know <coughs> it's me thinking of it, it's about me. 
And that's not what I'm about, right? That's why I can cut it off. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. It's really surreal being in this room just listening to the whole conversation. Uh, my name is Elon Ferdman, and my mission in life, the way I say it now, is to break down the walls to what people believe is possible. And then I just sit here watching all three of your lives and what you've done and how you push the boundaries for every single one of us in this room. My question is, how do you guys know whether it's a thought process or a heart process on what you want to attack next. You know, you're out there chasing asteroids for crying out loud. It's like Armageddon shit. And, <laughs> and, uh, and you're out there just constantly pushing what is possible for a human being from a mindset, a body, etc. How do you guys find what that next thing is? Um, I'll use XPRIZE as my example, right? It's, uh, uh, it's got to be something that, because there's a limited amount of time and energy that we all have. Uh, and as such, it's got to be something that has uh, the ability to have significant impact. So we live in a time and a world in which we have the ability to impact a billion people. That's it. We, we literally, as an individual, you have the capacity, the ability to impact a billion people. That's the world we live in today. At Singularity University, we have our graduate students come in. We have 8,000 graduates who come in and we get uh, uh, 80 finalists. Google funds all of their scholarships. They come in and over the course of 10 weeks, their mission is start a company, a product, service that can impact the lives of a billion people in 10 years. They may not get there, but it's the, the goal of going there. At XPRIZE, we partner with philanthropists and we say, what do you want to do? Okay, let's really upscale it. Let's go big. Let's go and really make this and challenge the smartest people in the world to solve that, that problem. Uh, and, and ultimately, it's got to be something that, that is important, meaningful, but we're passionate about. Right, the only reason I did not, you know, XPRIZE was an overnight success after 10 years of hard work. Right, from the time I read The Spirit of St. Louis, to the first XPRIZE was won, was 10 years almost to the month. Uh, my previous company, uh, Zero G, that Eric and I created 11 years from the first FAA conversation to the first time we flew someone into weightlessness. Uh, and both of those, I did not give up because they were my highest calling in life. And I refused to give up because if I gave up, I was the one causing the failure. And they both happened because I did not give up. How did you have that first spark? Sorry. How did you have that first spark with that idea? Do you, is it a body sensation? Do you just like sit there and journal stuff and you're like, okay, that's the craziest idea. That's what I want to go well, do. Well, I mean, so the question really is, what do you care about more than anything else? A, a dear friend of mine, Tom Bilou, Bilau, who's the CEO of Quest Nutrition, you're going to be seeing him here. I love the guy. You know, I just added a 29th Peter's Law on it from him and his dad, which is find something you would die for and then live for it, right? Because I love that. Yeah, same. Um, and, and Ultimately, it's, for me, it's the stuff that I dream about and I'm passionate about. It's the child in me. And if you don't know what your passion is, a couple of ideas. What did you want to do as a kid before the world beat you out of it? 
And if I gave you a billion dollars and said, you can't spend it on yourself, but do something to really make the world a lot better, what would you do with a billion dollars? I mean, those are two sort of two polar ways of, of sort of figuring out mission and passion that you'd love to spend your time doing. I think a lot of people, though, um, do not pursue their passion or they question it. Like you're, you're asking with your head right now. Your head is not any part of it when it's your passion. And the reason you're going to your head is because most of us are afraid of failing. And so we get something and then we question it. You know? And the real question is you're letting the tyranny of how take over. I always tell people, you don't need to know the how. You need to know the what and the why. If the what and the why, if there's something you really want to do, be, share, create, give, and every ounce of you wants to make that happen, you don't have to figure out how. You'll figure out how. But it, you have to start with that. And I think if you, if you start with that, something of that nature, and if you say, I don't have anything of that nature, then you've got to get around where it's better and let something hit you. You know, get around where other people are experiencing life that way and something will hit you. If you stay around average people, the average people are settling. There's nothing wrong with them. They've just been socialized to settle. And you have to get around people that don't settle. And something will hit you. And when something hits you, you can start to run with it. And, and I tell people, look, get that vision and make it something that's not only something that you're so passionate about, but it's got to be something not only you're passionate about, but it inspires other people or it's just you. And you're going to be alone. Right? Peter's genius at not only coming things that inspire him, but he figures out how to bring that vision to something others want to join part in. That's, that's his strength, right? And then the second thing I tell people is you've got to eliminate the internal conflicts, which is what's really the unconscious part of what you're saying is you're really saying I'm afraid to commit to something because what if it isn't it? And what that really is saying is I'm really going to commit to something because what if I fail? And so I tell people, why don't you just face it? I have people write a list of everything you'd never want to have to go through to achieve your goal, everything. And then look at every single one and say, I, in your gut, I'm willing to do that. Because until you're willing to do that, you won't take action. And when you do, it's almost like God says, okay, you really mean it? You won't have to go through 99% of it. But if you keep it hidden, and you, it's an unconscious piece of like, I want to do this, but I wouldn't want to look bad, I wouldn't want to fail, I wouldn't want to lose my money, I wouldn't want to want... You, you gotta look at all this thing. I care about it so much, I'd be willing to go through all that. It's the death, I, what, I, what I'm willing to die for, but I live for it, same thing. And then the third thing I do is I grab some great resources around me and then I take some massive action and I burn my boats. You wanna take that island, burn the boats. You're not gonna, this guy burned his boats. He went out and put out this big prize for $10 million. He didn't have a freaking penny. Yep. He didn't have a penny. <laughs> he got a bunch of astronauts up there all talking about everything. He didn't have a penny, he didn't have a penny for how many years? Uh, we, uh, we spent every dollar we had uh, announcing the prize, and we didn't. And then uh, we didn't have a, any money after that. And then in uh, 96, we raised the money from the Ansari family uh, in uh, five years later. So five years of being told no, 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 no. Scared the shit out of me. But meanwhile, people are building spaceships <laughs> thinking they're going to get 10 million bucks and, when they get and, there, and he doesn't have 10 million bucks. And, and calling and call me. So now Peter, you know I love do, this do you man. have the money yet? <laughs> But he, put it, he burned his boats, yeah. and so he took, the, you know, he took the island. That's what you got to do. Awesome. Blessings to you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, well I, will, I will wrap up with saying, you know, the way that I think about this group, this, this, uh, this network, you know, I call it Genius Network. It's, it's really connecting. It's a connection group. It's a connection network to connect people with genius-level stuff. You guys are the best in the world at what you do. And uh, what both of you do, everyone here uh, would be well served to partake in it. And obviously I support so many darn things that you're in and I love doing it because it's, it's so great. And people that have never been through 
you know, Day with Destiny, UPW, UPW, Business Mastery. There's so many things that people in this room would benefit from sending their children, friends through it. Uh, what do you recommend, both of you, that people get more of what both of you are doing, your contributions, your businesses that would uh, benefit them? What do you recommend? Um, uh, figure out what it is you're interested in, what you want, and go to our website or pick up a book or an audio and see if it appeals to you. If it does, uh, go deep. You know, go put yourself in immersion. My whole thing is the way you master things is not by dabbling. So I do things in immersion. I do four or five days, three days, six days. Pick a subject you want to do and you want to master your business, come, you know, this is mastery's five days and nights and on day one, if you don't think it's a million dollars of value, give your money back and get to keep everything you learn. No one leaves, right? So it's, um, if you're up for an adventure, if you're up for something that's intense, I'm a good guy. If not, you should go somewhere else for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will say this because, you know, both of us have done a lot with incentivized competitions and we have worked to put together a uh, contest uh, for Tony whenever it's the right timing for him to roll it out. I know so many people in this room would get behind it, support it, promote yes. it, all that sort of thing. So I'm a big, big fan of uh, incentivized competitions and you literally, you know, I, you're responsible for private space travel. You never would say that, but had you not done that idea, you know, Virgin Galactic would not exist. So you're, you know, so what about you? Uh, two things that I think are, are viable. Um, one is anybody who's interested in what we do at XPRIZE uh, and really want to be part of taking on a grand challenge and solving it. Actually, I have my innovation board, our trustees, anybody in the room who's involved in XPRIZE. Could you just stand up one second? I know we've got a number of, of folks here. Um, ask them about, about their involvement. Get involved in what we're doing. We, we do the most extraordinary things. We take on the world's biggest problems. We're in March doing a four-day adventure trip on AI and the brain, sitting down with all the top AI companies in Silicon Valley, we're looking at the uh, optogenetic companies and so forth. So it's, XPRIZE has gotten really a lot of fun. Join our innovation board, get involved in our adventure trips, figure out what a problem you want to solve. Uh, that's XPRIZE. Um, human longevity, uh, for me, this is a gift we're giving the world. Uh, we just opened up our health nucleus in La Jolla. It is the most intensive information you will learn about yourself. Uh, it is uh, the first time it's ever been possible. You come down to the health nucleus, we sequence your entire genome, your microbiome, your full body MRI, all the chemicals in your bloodstream, um, uh, and then we do an executive physical on, on, on top of that. And it is, it, it is something- with a rectal exam. <laughs> you, know, you know how to polish the conversation, pal. Um, and it is, it is something that, you know, we all work so hard, and I heard it from you, I heard it from Christian, you know, the man who has his health has a, you know, a thousand dreams, he who doesn't has but one. So it's something which um, the, the health nucleus, if you're interested in that, uh, ask me. Uh, we are in beta phase right now uh, with a limited number of folks, but it's an amazing, amazing part of uh, reinventing healthcare, which is going to be decimated this decade. Uh, you guys are awesome. I really, really appreciate Thanks you both time. coming to this and taking it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.